This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rashes, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c Welcome back to the Pete's Doc Talk podcast and the Finding Joy series. This is a series where I talk about mindset shifts. I talk about the really difficult times that we have in our lives. I share personal stories. I share stories that I have seen talking to other families. I talk about the ups and downs and how we can navigate it to see brighter days ahead. Now, when you listen to this episode's title, Secondary Infertility After Birth Trauma, the title is going to seem like an oxymoron. How can you find joy during trauma and infertility? This is something that is very emotionally and physically draining, and I currently am experiencing the secondary infertility process after a traumatic delivery about two and a half years ago, little under that. And this is far from finding joy. This is a story about honesty, vulnerability, and reality. Sharing this story is my strength when I feel weak. Telling you my story is my joy when I feel sad. The duality exists in such beauty because I have grieved so many things in the last two years as a woman and as a mother that I want to share with you. This grief and processing this grief has allowed me to grow. So without any surprise here, there's going to be a huge trigger warning before you continue listening about birth trauma and infertility, because I will be discussing both. Now, if this is the first time you're listening to the Finding Joy series, remember, this is a raw and honest series where I take difficult events in our lives, difficult feelings, and discuss how to grow from it from a growth mindset perspective. This isn't toxic positivity. It's a positive mindset coaching so that we can feel the feelings of difficulty and move through them at our own pace. If you do love the Finding Joy series or any of my episodes, make sure to leave a review or rating, share it with a friend or on Instagram and tag me so more people can find this podcast. So in this podcast episode, I will not be discussing what happened during our son's delivery or be discussing the hormone stimulation and egg retrieval process I've gone through this year. If you're curious to know about Ryan's birth story, make sure you check it out on my blog. You can type in Ryan's birth story or birth trauma. I also have a podcast episode, episode 15, how birth trauma changed my life, where I talk about this sort of mindset of how it has made my life better. And yes, it did make my life better in some ways. I also have a YouTube vlog, my first ever vlog, coming out this week of the release of the podcast, where I talk about the hormone stimulation journey, the ups and downs of that, and all the things that I've learned going through IVF for the first time 
after having a traumatic delivery. But in this episode, I am going over how we found out I had secondary infertility, the journey to decide to do IVF, the emotions that came with it, and also how I'm reframing my mindset to get through this very emotionally and physically draining process after having gone through a very traumatic delivery to have my son. So we started trying to get pregnant when Ryan was about 11 months old. So this was November of 2020. We used a fertility monitor that checks hormones for ovulation, and we use the same monitor for Ryan. With Ryan, we used that monitor and we got pregnant in three months. This time around, I was checking it and I continued to ovulate from the monitor, but we just weren't getting pregnant. Months and months were passing and I just felt like something was wrong. You know, after five months, I told my husband that I was concerned. I was ovulating, but something just didn't feel right. I also just felt concerned because I had a lot of trauma and scarring from my initial C-section and the exploratory laparotomy I had a week later. My C-section scar was a mess. It had so much scar tissue. And I was just worried that is there something internally going wrong? Is there something anatomical? And I kept bringing up to my husband that I just felt like something wasn't right. Being the amazing husband he is, he reassured me in a good way, not a dismissive way, right? He said, look, there's no harm in checking it out, but you are young and we've only been trying for five months and they say six months. So why don't we give it another couple months and we'll see. I ended up calling in March of 2021 um, and the next available wasn't until June. So my advice is if you're considering making a fertility appointment, call in advance because there is a waiting time. I am so grateful that I made the appointment when I did. I'm 35 and have been trying to get pregnant for more than six months, then you should be seeing a fertility doctor. If you're under 35, it's trying for a year. But honestly, if you are concerned, call, see what they say, make an appointment. I went to see this fertility doctor in June. She was recommended to me by one of my best friends who also utilized her um, to get pregnant with her child via IVF. I told her my story and she was shocked and I was actually shocked because I'm like, I'm sure you hear a lot of horrifying stories and she was shocked at what happened. And honestly, reliving the story every time I talk about it, even almost two and a half years later, it is so vivid in my head. And even though I've grown around my grief of the birth trauma, you will never forget it. I mean, I've still, while I'm recording this podcast episode, can visualize and see everything that happened during that moment and during the weeks that followed after Ryan was born. So I told her my story. I'm so grateful I went in. She ordered a uterine ultrasound, blood work, and an HSG, which is a hysterosalpingogram, which looks at the fallopian tubes and uterus as well. The ultrasound looked amazing. The blood work was amazing. This looks at hormone levels, ovarian reserve, things like that. And then she did the HSG. So they shot the dye in through the uterus and it went to the uterus beautifully, went to the right fallopian tube beautifully, but it didn't go anywhere in the left. So I had so much scar tissue in my fallopian tube, which 100% we can't say was directly from the trauma of the delivery. However, traumatic deliveries and C-sections can cause adhesions and scarring leading to this. I developed something called a hydrosalpinx. This is when there's damage and blockage of a portion of the fallopian tube that causes it to become filled with fluid. The swollen and fluid-filled tube is called that hydrosalpinx. And this hydrosalpinx meant that fluid was backflowing into my uterus, making it an uninhabitable place. 
So even if I were to ovulate and conceive off my right ovary, the embryo would not be able to implant in a uterus in this condition. So the only way to proceed to have any chance of getting pregnant would be to remove the fallopian tube, that left fallopian tube, and almost reset the uterus and allow the right side to work, hoping that I will ovulate off the right and we can get pregnant. And as I laid on that bed as she was doing the HSG, like I said, I felt like something was anatomically not right. She did the uterus stuff. I was like, okay, thank God. But then as she was doing the HSG, I knew something was up. I I felt it. It's this weird intuition that weirdly I had even during Ryan's birth trauma. And I cried a lot when I found out about the hydrosalpinks. I laid on that bed and I just started sobbing. And my REI doctor was amazing. You know, she let me cry and said, of anything, this is the problem she can fix. You know, I can take this out. We can take this out and we can be okay. I can reset your uterus and you can have a baby. She was so optimistic and it helped even as I was grieving to hear a doctor feel hopeful about my situation was very helpful. And part of me when I laid there crying wasn't even being upset about the diagnosis because in my heart of hearts, I knew something was up. It was also a little bit of relief to know that there was a reason why we weren't getting pregnant. And I know in infertility, not many people have a reason. But I felt like, you know, I have this reason. There is a blockage in my fallopian tube, and that is why I'm not able to get pregnant. Maybe with hope, if we take that out, then I'll have a chance. And like I said, hope can really help when it comes from someone else who's taking care of you, but also from me as well. So the plan from here was to take out the fallopian tube. And if she takes it out, we can do timed ultrasounds to see when I ovulate off the right side and have sex the old-fashioned way. She was very hopeful, which, like I said, is something that really helps when you're going through this journey. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just 2 minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom 
chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. So the plan was to remove the fallopian tube, visualize the right fallopian tube, and take a biopsy of the uterus while we were in there. My reproductive endocrinologist is very skilled, but because of the amount of trauma I had and the scar tissue, she recommended an oncology surgeon because if for any reason my fallopian tube was adhesed to the bowel, she wouldn't be able to continue. She would have to open me up and then she would have to close up because she can't take out the fallopian tube if it's touching the bowel that's near it. That is something for someone who's more skilled like an oncology surgeon. So we decided to go with the oncology surgeon because I did not want to be opened up with the chance that I would have to be closed up again and opened up again. He was so kind and amazing. Just like our REI doc, these two were exactly what I needed. After Ryan's delivery, I lost trust in a lot of OBs and my medical team. And this is really hard for me to say because I'm also a physician, but it was really hard for me to trust anybody, again, with my gyne care, my OB care. And how this happened is I had a lot of my symptoms dismissed for anxiety. I was overwhelmed with my son being in the NICU, and they thought that all of my symptoms and complaints were all psych-driven when they actually were sepsis, landing me in the ICU. So I lost trust when the OB responsible for my care never apologized, never acknowledged what happened to me and just sort of dismissed me in this whole experience, knowing very well that they made a mistake. So to go back to a doctor was very hard in this whole process. To trust again was hard after I felt hurt by a medical system and a medical professional as a physician myself. So having the surgeon be so understanding and so welcoming of my experience and really just saying to me, I'll take care of you was all I needed. It helped me so much. July 19th, 2021, I had my surgery. Because of the Delta surge with the COVID-19 pandemic, they wouldn't allow anybody with me. By then, I had the C-section with my husband in the room, which was very traumatizing. I had a repeat abdominal surgery to remove infected abscesses and fluid Um, a week after my C-section. I was scared and I was nervous and I was alone. I mean, this entire process was not something I wanted to go through, but I really wanted to try to have another baby. And being alone because of the whole Delta precautions made it a little bit harder. But I also trusted the surgeon. He told me in the kindest way when I did the consultation, I am going to take care of you. I am going to make it where I can help you have a baby. And I know he can't control everything. I know my REI doctor can't control everything. But just hearing the sincerity in someone's voice matters, especially in this fertility journey. They can't give me a money back guarantee. That's not how this works, but they can give me hope. The surgery went well. I unfortunately did develop keloids in the area of where the laparoscopic procedure happened. They're very small, but they itch and it's fine. But while he was there, he 
removed a ton of my scar tissue I developed on my C-section scar that was causing me a lot of pain and discomfort. And honestly, I'm forever grateful to him. That's not something that was expected to happen, but he said, look, I was in there. I noticed so much scar tissue. I'm just going to revise it so that you can have more comfort. He took a biopsy of my uterus, visualized the right fallopian tube, which was patent, and saw the left. He had to remove the entire fallopian tube, which was actually adhesed to bowel, and he meticulously removed it. He says that it was almost like internal plastic surgery for my pelvic organs. They basically tidy it all up so they can reset and hopefully get me pregnant via IVF. So it was smart. We went with him because of the adhesions. The surgery went well, and in September, we finally decided to do timed ultrasounds. Um, the idea was that we could avoid IVF if we do timed ultrasounds, checking to see what side I ovulate and have sex the old-fashioned way. With this, we were checking to see if the ovulation was happening off the right side, which is where my fallopian tube was patent. If I ovulated off the right, then we knew that we could try to conceive naturally. So we started the timed ultrasounds where I would go in when I'm ovulating, and luck would have it, I ovulated off the left side, where a reminder, I do not have a fallopian tube on that side. And the next month, again on the left side. The next month, again on the left side. The next month, again on the left side. So four months in a row, we were dealing with a left-sided ovulation. And it's discouraging. I mean, this is actually, to be honest, the hardest part of the whole journey so far was the timed ultrasounds. Because you have a hope and you have a vision. You're like, you know what? This is going to work but you have no control over which side you're going to ovulate. So we just had to wait and hope that maybe the next time will be the right side. And I could even see the disappointment in my ultrasound text faces when they did the ultrasounds. They also were hoping for that right side, but they can't control it. So then we realized that I'm getting older. You know, at the timing of this recording, I'm now 36 years old. And we wanted to have another child. So the reality also became that I could just be a left-sided ovulator. Some people just constantly ovulate off one side, and we wouldn't have known that unless we did the timed ultrasounds. So with no fallopian tube on that side, there would be very, 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 very little or no chance of getting pregnant. And so we decided in January that we would do IVF. This appointment was with my husband and I and our REI doctor. I cried the entire drive home. And it's interesting because I had gone through already the understanding that I had the diagnosis of the hydrosalpings that we had the surgery. But when I had to make the decision to do IVF to grow my family, I was angry. Angry at my care team from Ryan's delivery. Angry that my body would be going through this trauma again. Angry that I was in the situation angry that other people seem to have it easier to get pregnant and why is this happening and why does it just not seem fair? Once I felt my anger, once I felt all that grief that comes with infertility, that comes with birth trauma, that comes with any type of trauma, I had space to heal. I had space to accept this reality. Our reality is that we want another child. Our reality was that we want to try to have our child in my body that I can carry again. That I want to try to have a baby where I can take that baby to a C-section and not have the experience we had with Ryan. I want another baby. And that was my dream. So I accepted our reality. But that doesn't take away the pain of making a huge financial, emotional, and physical decision. 
We quickly figured out the timing and had my parents come fly out when our egg retrieval would be, which if you watch my YouTube video where I highlight this experience of the hormone stimulation and egg retrieval, which is released on April 22nd, that egg retrieval was on March 23rd. You know, this entire process feels so much like a protocol. So if you're listening to this and you've gone through IVF, you can relate. If you have not, it is just very structured. Although I was treated like a human being, you know, obviously I had these appointments and whatnot, the way they managed IVF at this very large practice is very systematic. You know, you make an appointment with an IVF coordinator, they give you a calendar, they tell you which meds you're going to take and how to get that from the pharmacy, and then you go to your doctor on scheduled visits to monitor the follicle growth. Once you go to these appointments, you call a personalized voicemail line to find out your blood work results and the meds that you're going to be injecting that evening, and if you need to increase the meds in any way. I did 15 total nights of hormone stimulation, the longest of anyone I personally knew, and I ended up having eight mature eggs retrieved. At the time of the recording right now, I'm not reporting any embryos, but I'm hoping that this can be another positive update for my community in a different episode on my social media or on my YouTube channel. This entire journey has been overwhelming, isolating, but fascinating. I have felt so much sadness, grief, and loss before I even started IVF. And I think anyone who has gone through the process can say that they have had to deal with the grief and trauma of the IVF process. I had grief for not being able to conceive the good old-fashioned way. I think we forget how lucky we are to conceive unassisted, have a healthy pregnancy, have a normal delivery. I was so grateful to have a healthy pregnancy with Ryan with no difficulty conceiving. And now I'm experiencing IVF. I've had to experience a traumatic delivery and I had to experience the delivery of a child with medical complications. It made me cry, but it also made me believe. I knew something was wrong and I felt validated in knowing that I did the right thing by getting myself evaluated. Knowing is powerful, and I trusted my doctor. I am uncertain with what's going to happen with this entire process, you know, but at the same time, I feel it in my bones that we are going to have a baby through this process. And I keep telling my husband, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And that mindset doesn't make things happen. I think we forget that you can't make things happen just by willing it. But all I can do right now is just hope and believe that we are going to add a baby to our family via IVF. I don't know the future, but I do have hope because sometimes hope is all we have in a situation where we have no control. And I think having gone through the experience with Ryan, I learned the power of hope. When Ryan was born and he had his stroke and seizures, I had to really accept the fact that I can only do so much. I can't control what his outcomes are going to be with this stroke. Is he going to need to be on seizure meds the rest of his life? Is he going to walk? Is he going to talk? I had no idea what was going to happen. And so all I knew to do was to do the best that I can with the resources I have. And I engaged him developmentally. I go to my appointments that I need to. I see the neurologist. I take the meds. But I also have to just hope that things will work out as they should. My husband has asked me how I have managed this so well. And I I don't like using the term so well because I feel like I manage things well because I just feel my feelings. You know, this entire process, making the decision to do IVF injections, 
waiting for follicle development, which was honestly extremely stressful because it took me 15 days to even have major follicle development. The doctor's visits and everything else that has gone on has been a lot for him to watch and for me to do and take in myself. So how am I managing this? And it's hard because if you're dealing with this and maybe you have secondary infertility or maybe you have primary infertility, you may find some of these things may not help you and some of it will. And I hope that you can take what works for you. Here are just eight ways I have found joy and heartache during infertility. Number one, I have allowed myself to be extremely vulnerable. And I've told you this even when I had my birth trauma experience. That experience, that vulnerability for the first time, feeling extremely physically and emotionally vulnerable, allowed for an amazing breakthrough. After Ryan's delivery, I gave myself more and more permission to feel vulnerable to be upset, to feel my feelings so I can navigate it through it better. For so long before Ryan's delivery, I resisted emotions, my anxiety, anything. I would just say, no, no, no. And now I learned that I have to accept it and accept the reality so that I can move forward in my own time. When family members would tell me, you know, be grateful or it's not so bad, people have it worse. I kindly explained to them that these are not things that I want to hear right now. I need you to listen without judgment and let me feel my feelings. And I think any one of us can agree that we understand if you're going through difficult times that there are people going through much worse. But when you are experiencing true grief and true sadness, that's the last thing you want to hear. You want to hear, it's okay to be sad. What do you need from me? How can I help you in this situation? So that you can process those emotions and those feelings in your own way, in your own time versus feeling like you have to push away the feelings. That is why so many women and parents and people just don't get help for their mental health because they feel like if they say anything, people are going to feel like they're not grateful enough, that they have to feel a certain way. No, you need to feel your feelings. Don't push them away. You made it halfway through an episode, so you must be loving the show. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel where I share answers to all of the common topics submitted to me regarding child health, development, and debunking all that misinformation you hear online. My goal is for PDT to be a one-stop shop for your searching needs. Bye-bye late-night Googling. So make sure to go to YouTube and search Peds Doc Talk TV. Hit that subscribe button and binge watch all the amazing episodes and episodes to come. Have suggestions for future videos? Make sure to chat in the community section on my YouTube channel. Have you heard about the terrible twos or three-nagers? Yes, the toddler years can be tough. There is no denying that any phase of parenting can be really hard. There may be picky eating, tantrums, and struggles with potty training. But there is a lot of amazing things that you will see your toddler do during these years. I want you to enter the toddler years understanding toddler development and behavior so you can better approach tricky situations with your child. With resources on picky eating, potty training, tantrums, and other common toddler behavior like sleep refusal and toddler development, the toddler resources here at Peds Doc Talk aim to provide you with the knowledge you need to, dare I say, find some or a lot of enjoyment in the toddler years. For more on my on-demand courses, make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and check out resources for whatever you need. Have a friend? It also makes a perfect gift. Visit pedsdoctalk.com and click courses for more. I embraced my feelings and this has better allowed me to process hard times. And my husband allows me to do so. My loved ones that I confide in about this entire experience also allow me to do so. And that is what has helped me so much already in this fertility journey. Number two is I journal every day. 
I journal my feelings, my anger, my happiness, my frustration, my joy, my manifestations, my hope. I let it all out onto paper. I haven't seen a therapist, but I know when I'm going to need one. And that is self-insight. I am able right now to manage so much of this with the mindset shifts that I have learned through the last two years and beyond. But I know that if I need a therapist, I will have one if I need it. Number three is I've leaned on friends who have gone through something similar. The infertility community is extremely powerful. I think they're amazing. I have friends that have gone through this. I have people in my new mom squad on my course um, who have gone through this. So much support. I personally have found that the fertility community could be the only people I could talk to about this. You know, I have amazing friends who have gone through other experiences, but they have not experienced infertility. And although they are amazing, I respect that they can't help me how I need to be helped right now in this season. And that's so important. You could have amazing people in your life, but you have to learn who are the people that can serve you at this purpose and this junction in your life. And it doesn't mean that you don't talk to those other friends, but you talk to them about other things. But I knew which friends I would be able to lean on as I was going through this journey. And it tended to be my friends who have gone through fertility treatments. Number four is I listened to uplifting stories. So I leaned on my new mom squad, which is part of my course. And I also asked them for positive stories when I found out I wasn't developing many follicles. Yes, IVF is not always successful. I know that. I do. I mean, everyone understands that it's not a guarantee that you do IVF and you end up with a baby. But what purpose is that serving to hear the failure rates? I wanted to focus on positivity rates and use hope as a motivator. And managing my expectations was very important as well. But having hope is saying to yourself, I understand I can't control this outcome, but I sure as hell going to hope that it works out. Number five is removing expectations and comparison and remembering that this is my journey and my family's journey. I can't guarantee what's going to happen. I learned this from Ryan's birth. None of this is in my control. None of this is my fault. I think sometimes as moms and even in this infertility world, we blame ourselves way too much that I should have done this and I could have done this, but it's not our fault. I didn't ask to have a traumatic birth. I did everything right, quote unquote, in pregnancy. I didn't ask to have secondary infertility. This is just life. And honestly, we shouldn't blame ourselves. This shouldn't be the case. None of this was expected. None of this may seem fair. And I I will do a whole other episode about fairness, but this is my reality. And I can accept both sides that, hey, this kind of sucks to spend all my time, energy and money on IVF treatments. But I can also look at the fact that this can lead us to having another baby after trauma that rendered me infertile. Number six is I've looked at the financial investment of IVF as energy. This whole process already has cost us about $21,000. We pay it as a package up front for all of the meds, egg retrieval, the transfer for the embryo. All of that is part of a package. And when I look at money as energy, although it doesn't seem fair to have to pay $21,000 to do what millions get to do for free multiple times without any injections or finances that they need, I know that this energy will come back in the form of either a beautiful baby or strength through adversity. I want to have a baby. I mean, that is my ultimate dream. That is my ultimate hope. And I don't want to set an expectation because I don't want disappointment, but I'm hoping this, that this is going to happen for us. But money is energy. And if you're investing it into something that is meaningful to you, it will come back to you in some way in a positive way. 
So if you're struggling with that cost, obviously we have to find out where to get that money from. I mean, that's a reality. But when you finally have figured out the payment and you're lamenting that this is really hard, I don't want to pay this. I hated that we had to shell out $21,000. But I also know that it's energy and this energy will serve us in some way. And I pray that we don't have to pay more and more money, but it helps me so that I'm not angry as much in this process. Number seven is I focused on my energy on passions. And my passions are things that I pour my joy and energy into, which is Ryan and Pete's Doc Talk. Whenever I'm feeling sad or dejected, I remember how grateful I am for the things that have given me light. And Ryan and PDT are my babies. Ryan is obviously my real baby, but Pete's Doc Talk is my baby. The podcasting, the YouTube, the creation, being able to create something when my body cannot create something is very powerful. And I know that sounds really weird and you may not understand that, but creating something externally helps me when I can't create myself. It helps me understand that I am bigger than my womb is, than my fertility is. I'm not defined by that. I am creating something. I am raising a child. And if you're having primary infertility, then pour your passions into something that is creative and gives you joy. That creation is part of you. Even though you're waiting for a baby and you want that child, you can create in different ways. Number eight is I have hope. And I talked about this already. Hope to me is a very beautiful thing. And some people don't have it. Some people don't believe in it. My husband is actually completely opposite. He does not believe in hope as much as I do. He doesn't have that optimism gift. And hope doesn't mean that things will always work out how you envision. That's not what hope can manifest. But it creates optimism through a difficult journey so that you can find moments of joy. This is how I got out of that hospital bed when Ryan's delivery happened and when I was sick in the ICU. It wasn't just about physical healing. It was about emotionally telling myself, I have to get out of here. I have to walk again. I have to get out of here and willing that into existence. This is how I found joy during Ryan's stroke diagnosis when there was so much uncertainty. I held on to hope and understood I can only do so much. It does not mean that you're going to get the outcome that you're going to get. But you have two options here. You either navigate the difficult times without hope and just feel miserable the entire time. Or you hold on to hope because at least through the process, you feel a little bit of joy. The outcome could be that we end up without a child. The outcome could be that this doesn't succeed. This outcome could be that we have to do multiple cycles or decide surrogacy or adopt or ending this and saying that we're going to have one child and be being okay with that decision. But what I'm holding on to right now is hope in the journey because it does help in finding brighter skies and enjoying the moment as much as we can when we're going through something so traumatic. My son's delivery was the most traumatic event of my life. Anytime my husband or, you know, I do interviews or people ask me, you know, what has been that defining moment? It was Ryan's delivery. I changed so much. And again, listen to episode 15 if you want to learn more about how it changed me. It was a day of grief when so many women have joy. And that is actually very hard. And also in this IVF journey, you are doing something that so many other families, women are able to do without assistance and that's free and that they don't have to do the timed injections and mixing of meds and driving to pharmacies and go doctor's visits and waiting for the ultrasound. 
And it can feel hard and it can feel unfair, but it's a different journey. Life is not intending to be unfair to us. And I'm going to do the whole episode, like I said, about fairness. Good things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. We are not in control over all of that. The only thing we can control is how we navigate the experiences. And how I look at this whole experience. I almost died because of sepsis. Because of the fact that I was not evaluated quickly enough. And I'm so grateful that I am here today to share my story. And it's a passion project of mine now to advocate for maternal health, for postpartum care, because that is so important in so many ways. And I know that I'm here. I'm alive. I'm facing the reality of a journey to conceiving another child in a, in a way that's not conventional, quote unquote. But it is my way. I don't know what will happen. I don't know how our story will proceed. So all I can do is hope that it'll make sense as it should. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Please remember to leave a review or a rating and share this on social media. I love reading my reviews. It means so much to me when you all share this. And also it helps other people find the podcast as I share my story, share these messages of how we can reframe and find joy, even in moments where joy is not expected. This is a moment where I do not expect to be happy all the time. But what I am doing is learning how to navigate this where I can find gratitude, where I can find little moments of hope so that I can feel better through this process. Thanks again for tuning in and I will talk to you next week. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.